what's up all you married couples out there? It is time to gear up and huddle up for our vertical marriage workshop. Vertical as in off the bench, off the couch, and on your feet, playing your part in your marriage the way that God has intended you to do so. This is a two-day workshop that will be held in our student ministry area starting Friday, November 4th, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, November 5th, 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. For more information, please go to our website, shelbychristian.org, click on the marriage tab and events and sign up there or contact Bobby Woods at bwoods at shelbychristian.org. We hope to see you there. Ready? Break. Now hit the showers. No, seriously, this is a marriage event. Have some respect for yourself and for your marriage. Feet this morning as we get ready to worship the Lord. So yeah, we got some events going on. That was our man Brett up on the mic on that one, doing that announcement. And uh, man, we had a busy week this week. We had our fall festival this last uh, Wednesday. If you were here with your kids, it was an awesome time here on the grounds here at church. So uh, that is an amazing event. That was the first time I got to experience it. So if you have never been there next year, make sure you check that out. So Find somebody real close to you, shake their hands, tell them glad you're in the house of the Lord. Let's worship the Lord together. Yeah. 
As we continue to worship the Lord, this next song is a new song for our church. Uh, it's a song that I, uh, it's really meant a lot to me over the last month, but it's called Firm Foundation. And you know, verse two of the song, it says, I've got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. You know, as children of the most high God, we can live this world in this world and people around us should, should feel that. That doesn't make sense how they can have joy in chaos, have peace when it doesn't make sense. Amen? Is that something in your life that you can testify that God has been good? He's been faithful that in those storms, he's calmed us. He doesn't always promise to take away the storms, but he will give us peace in the middle of the storm, in the the storm, amen. So as we sing this song, may this bless your heart. Kind of comes from an old song. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. And in Matthew chapter 7, it talks about the man that builds his house, not on a firm foundation. And when the storm came, And the winds blew, it was wiped away. But those that build their house on Christ, on the firm foundation, through the rain, through the storm, it stands the test of time. Amen. Worship with us. Christ is my firm foundation The rock on which I stand When everything around me is shaking I've never been more glad Than I put my faith in Jesus Cause He's never let me down Faithful through generations 
patient So I would even now You won't
take of communion together and if you've never been here before we have our elements that are on the side of the church there's some in the back there's some up front we just want to take time Jesus said as often as you do this do this in remembrance of me he paid the sacrifice once and for all for our sin he was the perfect sacrifice let's pray together Father we thank you for today we thank you for your son Jesus that took away the sins of the world and nailed him to the cross and three days later he rose again he lives within us We thank you for that, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Bless the Lord. You may be seated. Just shut up. But she continued to praise the Lord and praise the Lord. Well, one, one month, her money was really, really short. And she didn't have enough money for groceries. But she believed the Lord would provide. So she prayed to the Lord, Lord, you know my situation. I need groceries. So Lord, provide. Well, the atheist heard this prayer and he thought, oh, I'm going to get her. So he went out and bought a bunch of groceries, put them on her front porch, rang the doorbell and hid behind the bushes. Well, the lady walks out and she sees the groceries and says, thank you, Lord, for, for providing. The atheist jumps out of the bushes and says, ha, the Lord didn't do it. I did it. And she says, praise God for the groceries. And she goes, what do you mean you're praising God? I bought them. She says, I knew the Lord would provide, but I didn't know the devil was going to pay for it. (laughs) Two weeks ago, we started this series about going from atheist to believer. And last week, I mean, the the first week, Dave talked about how an atheist believes there is no God. And an agnostic says he's not quite sure if there's a God or not. We made an appeal to origins. People talk about the Big Bang Theory, fine. What caused the Big Bang? How did we complete nothingness? Suddenly everything came about. The earth, the moon, the trillions of stars and everything. No matter what you believe about the origin of all that is, we can see and touch and explore. It is a faith decision because nobody was there to see it. Whether the universe itself is eternal, whether a big bang made it all happen, whether God spoke it all into existence, it is a faith decision. Last week, Dave asked the agnostic to consider becoming a deist. A deist is someone who believes in intelligent design. In fact, we made an appeal to design. The earth is perfectly suited to sustain life. The chance of that happening without a plan is nearly impossible. In the wide-angle view, this place seems too perfect to have happened by accident. He discussed how much integral design there is and even the most smallest of cell. So we came to the conclusion the more complex a design, the more likely a designer. So the more we learn about the natural world, the more it appears it must have been designed. Many scientists today have come to the conclusion that there was some type of intelligent design. But the journey can't stop at being a deist. If we're searching for the truth, we can't stop there. It would be like going on your way to Disney World, but stopping off at the county fair and going to the Midway and saying, that's enough entertainment for us. It'd be like going to Ruth Chris Steakhouse and instead of getting a great prime rib, 
you get water with lemon and toast. Or it'd be like going on your honeymoon and saying, hey honey, how about we just hold hands tight? (laughs) The journey of discovery can't end with just a belief in intelligent design. It is not, not enough to say something out there helped guide the universe progress. We need to take the next step. Which God created the universe? How certain can we be? Does it matter? See, there's a prevailing view in our world today that it doesn't really matter. How many of you have heard the old saying, many roads lead to God, just pick a religion and join yourself into it. It's not a big deal what you believe as long as you're searching for God and you live a good life. That is the Oprah Winfrey approach. Alex McCarlin said, how can anyone not like Oprah? She's nice and friendly, accepting of all people and all beliefs. A frequent dream for her program is that all religions contain truth and basically teach the same thing. Now, just because it sounds good and looks good doesn't necessarily make it the truth, right? There was this older gentleman who had grown up on a farm. He had never been to the big city before. And his grandson says, I'm going to take grandpa to the big city. So he takes him into this big city and they stay in this really, really high escape of the hotel. And as he's checking in, his grandfather turns and sees an elevator. He sees the doors open and this little old lady with a cane can barely walk in. She walks in, the doors close. A few minutes later, doors open and out walks a beautiful blonde woman. Grandpa turns around and grandson's grandson says, we got to take grandma here. <laughs> Just because something looks good does not make it true. I'm sorry, but all religions don't teach the same thing. Let's just look at three of the world's major religions. Hinduism says there's 330 million gods, all believed to be an extension of one force, Brahma. Brahma's impersonal and unknowing. Hinduism teaches that life is based on karma. You reap what you sow. You get what you deserve. If your life is good, it's because you're good. If it's bad, you must be bad. It also teaches in reincarnation. After you die, you come back in a new body. If you've lived a good life, then you come back better than you did the time before. If you live a bad life, your next one would be worse. Now this husband and wife were arguing about reincarnation one day. The husband says, so let me get this straight. If I live a bad life, I might come back as a worm. She says, no, I don't think you can come back as the same thing twice. The goal of Hinduism is to dissolve one's soul into the oneness of Brahma. Now, Buddhism, another one of the world's major religions, was founded by Siddhartha Gama Buddha some 500 years BC. Buddhists may be atheists or they may believe in a god, but if they do believe in God, he's impersonal. He can't be known or prayed to. They don't worship Buddha. They seek spiritual enlightenment through meditation. The goal of Buddhism is nirvana, ceasing to exist personally and being absorbed into the whole. Now, Islam 
is one of the world's fastest religions. Muslims believe in one God, Allah, and Muhammad as his prophet. Allah cannot be known personally. The best they can do is to follow Allah's will. Now, they may respect the Bible, but they don't really believe in it. They follow something called the Quran. To them, Jesus was a prophet, not, not the son of God, certainly not divine. He was not crucified. He didn't rise from the dead. And he certainly does not atone for sins. In Islam, you can follow everything that Islam says, but that does not guarantee you get to heaven. They have no guarantees, no way of truly knowing. They have no savior, no one who died for their sins. Now, frankly, a deist doesn't want to worry about all those different religions. Just believe in some kind of divine power or force and call it good. So let me shoot it straight to you today. My hope today is that you will take the step from being a deist to believe in some kind of designer to a theist who believes in the God of the Bible. A theist is anyone who believes in a personal God that can be known. So I'd like to narrow that focus down a little bit. So let's look first at the prophet Isaiah, who wrote about 700 B.C. He wrote, For the Lord is God. He created the heavens and the earth and put everything in its place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. I publicly proclaim bold promises. I do not whisper obscurities in some dark corner. I would not have told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. I, the Lord, speak only what is true and declare only what is right. Now, that's an Old Testament view of what we believe. Now, listen to the words of Paul from the New Testament not long after the time of Jesus. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. And he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the world. And he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God. And perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and exist. Today, my appeal to you is for revelation. We believe that God revealed himself in a general way through the nature of design and creation, but we believe he revealed himself specifically through his word, the Bible. So that begs the question, can you believe what the Bible says about God? And if so, can you believe in the God of the Bible? If you're a deist, but you reject the Bible, then you'll have to figure out which other God you believe created the universe. So what is the bottom line of my sermon this morning? The Bible was never meant to prove God, but it does reveal God. Scripture never changes. God never changes to accommodate us. 
He changes us so that we might see him better. You see, as a church, we believe in what Timothy says. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So let's talk about what is the Bible. The Bible is actually a book, 66 different books written by approximately 40 different authors in a span of about 1,500 years. These authors came from many different walks of life. Moses was educated in the palace of Egypt. Peter was a fisherman. Amos, a herdsman. Joshua, a military general. Daniel was a prime minister. Luke, a doctor. Matthew, a tax collector. Paul was a rabbi who had totally committed his life to be against Christ, but what is converted on the way to Damascus and ended up writing more than half of the New Testament. So much diversity. In fact, the Bible was written on three continents and three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and some Aramaic. That despite all the diversity, there is an amazing thread throughout the book. Namely, that God created mankind, he loves us, and he was willing to pay a tremendous sacrifice to forgive us of our sins. Now, some people get in great arguments over specifics in the Bible, like creation. The Bible says that creation took place in six days. Now, was that six literally 24-hour days, or was that six eons? We don't really know. I believe it was six actual days. If God could create Adam and Eve to be a certain age when he created them, he didn't create them as infants, he created them a certain age, why couldn't he have created the world to appear to be older than it is? And the floods that happened during Noah could explain most of the fossil records in the earth and all the canyons and rivers and everything that we have. I don't believe the length of time God took to create the world is the foundational issue. The more important issue is that when God spoke, something happened. Dr. Reuben Bullard said, when God created the world, he used miracle and he used process. If he used more miracle, then he used less progress. If he used less miracle, then he used more process. We don't know how much of each he used, but we know that when God created the world, he used both miracle and process. I'm okay with that. But Mark Twain once said, some people are troubled by the things in the Bible they can't understand. The things that trouble me are the things I can't understand. The Bible has different kinds of writing styles, history, poetry, prophecy, metaphors, parable, and allegory. Most of the time, we can tell what it is based on the context of when it's written. But there are a few specific cases where people disagree about that. We know that some, some of the commands in Scripture were cultural, while some were everlasting. For instance, the Bible tells women you should dress modestly. Why? Because we as men, we, have, we struggle with lust. But God also told them that they shouldn't braid their hair. Now, what, why would Paul tell women not to braid their hair? Because in his day and age, braided hair meant loose morals. 
So what was cultural in that day, braiding hair, doesn't really apply today because it doesn't mean the same thing. But modesty is a command that we should continue to follow. Now, a lot of people struggle with the Old Testament and God, how God had all these rules. God gave rules to the people of Israel to protect them. For instance, bacon. I love bacon. (laughs) But they weren't allowed to eat pork. Why? Because in Moses' day, they didn't always cook their food. And you think about what is one of the most dangerous animals to eat if it's not prepared properly. You see, God wasn't trying to be mean to them, giving them all these rules. God was trying to protect them. Told them to stay away from blood. And we know today that that's where most passages are are exchanged is through blood, right? God wasn't trying to be mean. He was trying to protect them. Just like when he told them to go in, he told Saul, go in, I want you to kill all the Agites. Now to us, that sounds terrible. Why would God tell them to wipe out an entire people? Because God knew what would happen later. You see, Saul didn't follow what God said. And one of those Agites turned out to be Haman, who tried to permit genocide upon the Jewish people in the book of Esther. Had Saul followed that and done what God told him to do, then they wouldn't have had that problem. Israel is still fighting its neighbors today because they did not follow what God told them to do when they entered the promised land. Now, we sometimes get uncomfortable with the Old Testament. I don't know about you, but I read some of it sometimes and I go, that didn't make any sense to me. Why did God do it that way? But ultimately, there is consistency in the Bible and I choose to trust what I don't understand. Now, how did we get the Bible? Now, if you remember a few, several years ago, Dan Brown wrote a book called The Da Vinci Code. And it was a big hit. That book rocked the world because he made so many claims about Jesus and how the Bible came together. Yes, it was only a novel, but in his, his prologue, he wrote that everything in his book was based on, on facts. Now, according to the, to the novel, the basic premise was that Jesus didn't die on the cross. Instead, he married Mary Magdalene, and they had children, and those children still are followed even today. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Now, according to the novel... That in the 4th century, the Roman Emperor Constantine, with the help of the Roman Catholic Church, ignored all these other books about Jesus and only picked the ones that they wanted. Now, the problem with that, as Pastor John Arterberg said, the Da Vinci Code is one of those rare books where you'd actually be dumber after reading it than you were before. Now, when we talk about the books of the Bible, we sometimes refer to this list as the canon of Scripture. Canon means norm, the standard, the rule, how and when were the Old Testament books and the New Testament books determined. The Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, were confirmed by Jewish leaders 300 to 150 years before Christ was born. The Old Testament was already established before Jesus was even born. You ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? 
this one boy was walking through Emmaus and fell through a, fell through this, the, the ceiling of a cave and found these all these different scrolls. They turned out to be the Dead Sea Scrolls. And every single one of the Old Testament books were written there except for the book of Esther. Now, the New Testament proclaims the Old Testament to be true 300 times and alludes to it over 4,000 times. The Old Testament is a series of promises that God makes, while the New Testament is the record of fulfillment and anticipation of fulfillment of those promises. Now, the New Testament is, of course, more central to us as Christians. The reality was Jesus was the preacher, not a writer. As he went from place to place preaching, people's lives were changed. So he made a huge impact wherever he went. In fact, John 7, 46, one of the enemies of Jesus said, no one ever spoke the way this man does. As Jesus went along with his disciples, they developed an oral tradition. Now, what is that? Well, when my daughter was little, she used to have a book called Princess Penelope. I probably read that book a thousand times. And if I skipped a page, oh no, she knew it. She said, Dad, you've skipped a page, go back. No matter how hard I tried to skip pages, I just couldn't do it. Because she knew the story. In Jesus' day, every boy would reach a certain age and have a bar mitzvah, which meant son of the commandment. That boy would then have to quote any of the first five books of the Old Testament and all of the Psalms. That was oral tradition that was handed down from generation to generation. Now, when, those, when the, the apostles began to be aged or began to be persecuted, we believe that God inspired them to write down the words of Jesus. We know that even Peter says that Paul's writing were considered scripture. During the fourth century, the early church fathers did affirm certain Christian writings as genuine and they denied others as phony. This wasn't a whimsical vote. This was just acknowledging what the church already knew. And there were three ways they determined whether a book in the Bible became part of the book. One was apostolic origin. Basically, they accepted the words they believed were written by the disciples of Christ or men who were able to interview or work alongside them. All 27 books of the New Testament were written within 20 to 60 years after Jesus died. That's huge. They were written while there were still eyewitnesses around who could challenge every word that they wrote down. They could say, I was there. That didn't happen if something was inaccurate. Now, I believe that Ronald Reagan was the best president this country's ever had. I got to see Ronald Reagan speak when I was in college, and it was a great thrill for me. But if I stood up here and said, Ronald Reagan healed the sick, performed miracles, and walked on water, you all all say, that didn't happen, right? You would say, no, he's an idiot for saying something like that. Now, if I, if any of you could say, no, that wasn't true, think of all the people that lived in Jesus' day that could have said the same things about the Bible. There's also something called textual criticism. Now, without boring you, put it this way. All of you know about the King James Version of the Bible, right? 
Now, some of you still love it and still follow it, and that's great. But if you look at the King James Version of the Bible, the language is a little archaic compared to language today, correct? Look at 150 years later when the Constitution was formed. If you read the Constitution, you still see the language there is different than it was in 1611 when the new King James, King James Version was written. But you still see it's a little archaic. Jump another 100 years and you see Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, four score and seven years ago. We don't talk like that anymore, do we? And you look at that versus the message or the NIV today. And you see how English has changed every so many years. If we can see the difference between the King James Version of 1611 and today, New Testament scholars can see when a book of the Bible was written just based on the language it is in Greek. So all those other books, the book, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, all these extra books that Dan Brown said were really true, were written several hundred years after Jesus' death and resurrection. That's part of the reason they were not accepted into the Bible. They also weren't doctrinally consistent. The reality is that all those books that were circulating in the 4th and 5th centuries, books that were written hundreds of years after Christ, were full of so many contradictions and historical inaccuracies. Most were written to prove things that were clearly not true about Christ. Now, I have read every one of those extra Gospels. You know how when you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit talks to you, points things out to you, moves you in your heart and your spirit? When you read those other books, you don't get that. The Spirit doesn't speak through them. And finally, they chose to, these books were based, they were recognized by the church as authoritative. John, of course, was one who wrote the Gospel of John in the New Testament. He wrote three brief letters and he wrote the book of Revelation. A man named Polycarp was one of John's disciples. And one of his disciples was a man named Arrhenius. Arrhenius explained that the gospel, four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were so universally recognized, he referred to them as the four pillars. Origen, who was one of the church fathers in the early 200s, wrote, We had approved solely what the church has recognized, which is that not only the four Gospels should be accepted. Former Yale professor Winston Waller in his book, A History of the Christian Church, explains, The majority of what we call the New Testament today was widely acknowledged by the 200 A.D. But understand that when the council of the Synod met in 393 AD, they weren't voting on the books to include. They were affirming the books that were already recognized by the church. So why do we believe the Bible? Well, one is manuscript evidence. Josh McDowell wrote, the Bible compared to every other ancient writings has more manuscript evidence than any 10 pieces of classic literature combined. Let me give you an example. The Bible has over 20,000 pieces of manuscripts. 20,000. 
Now, if you look at another piece of ancient literature, Homer, who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, there were only a thousand manuscripts of that. But no one questions that Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. But there are 20,000 manuscripts that prove the Bible was true. Now, it also fulfilled prophecy. Some scholars believe there are 456 Old Testament prophecies. Many repeated. There are over 100 different individual ones. And according to credible writers of the early gospel, those events came true in the man of Jesus Christ. Peter Stower, a professor of mathematics at Westminster College, used 48 of those prophecies. The fact that Jesus was to be born of a virgin. The fact that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. That he was to come from the household of Jesse. That he was to live and to suffer and to die. All of those things. He took just 48 prophecies. He said, you know what the chance is of one man fulfilling all 48 of these prophecies? 10 to the 157th power. That is 10 with 157 zeros behind it. The professor concluded, any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact, proven perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. There's also historical accuracy. Archaeology discover, discovering almost every week I'm reading about a new discovery of something that proves the Bible to be true. Every year I get a new Bible, and this year I got the Archaeology Bible. And I've been reading through it, and all the different things that they have found over the years that prove that the Bible is absolutely true. There are also non-Christian Sources like Josephus, the historian, who wrote and talked about Christians and how they believed in this Jesus, and how this Jesus had been crucified, and how they claimed he had come from the dead. But I think the most important one is changed lives. What book has impacted more cynics and skeptics, led more desperate people to life transformation than the Bible? Over and over, it demonstrated the power to restore faith, hope, purity, peace, and love. M. Scott Peck wrote, We have been looking for a burning bush, the parting of the sea, the bellowing voice from heaven. Instead, we should be looking at the ordinary day-by-day events in our lives for evidence of the miraculous. David, King David wrote in Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp, a guide my feet, and a light for my path. Those who love your instructions have great peace and do not stumble. I long for your rescue, Lord, so I have obeyed your commandments. I understand that the Bible does not prove God. God cannot be proven. But the Bible does reveal God. It plants a consistent, believable, honest picture of God. It just doesn't read like a fable or a myth. There was a school teacher one time who had taken her life life savings and had been convinced by a scammer to invest it in something that really wasn't there. What she did is she lost her life savings and she calls the Better Business Bureau. 
and she explains to them what the scammer had said. And they said, didn't you know that we were here before you invested? Why didn't you call us then? She said, because I was afraid you would have told me not to do it. If you were going to make up a story, wouldn't you have all the heroes of the book be really smart, be really include, do great things? But when you read the Gospels, the disciples were clueless. They don't read like heroes, do they? No, the Bible reads like history. It gives details of kings and nations and time periods and current events. It just has the ring of truth. I wish I could prove to you that the God of the Bible is the one true God. But I can't. Norman Gessler put it this way. God has provided enough evidence in this life to convince anyone willing to believe. Yet he has also left some ambiguity as to not to compel the unwilling. Nearly 500 years ago, Martin Luther said, The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. I'm telling you, if you let God speak to you through his word, he will. The Bible can't prove God, but it does reveal God. I want to end this morning with a story. Once was this little boy who loved to hunt. And he had this young puppy, and he was teaching this young puppy how to go and retrieve ducks when he shot them over the pond. He spent hours with this little dog. He absolutely loved it. And when hunting season finally came, he sat in his duck blind with his dog, and he waited for the ducks to fly over. And a duck flew over, and he shot, and he killed it, and the bird fell into the pond. And he says, go, retrieve the duck. That dog took off, and it ran across the water, picked up the duck, and ran back across the water. The boy was amazed. He said, no one's going to believe this. So he went home that day and he went next door to get the farmer next door and asked him to come hunting with him the next morning. By golly, they did. And they're out there on the duck, duck blind, goes up, shoots a duck, falls, falls down into the water. Dog takes off again on top of the water, picks up the duck and brings it back. He looks at the farmer and he says, isn't that amazing what the dog just did? He looks at him and says, well, I wasn't going to say anything this, but I don't think your dog can swim. the boy sat in disbelief that he pointed out a potential flaw in the dog rather than recognizing the fact that what he had just done was a miracle you see my fear is this morning folks that you may come here and you may sit and you may miss the miracle of Jesus Christ the miracle of the Bible, of the fact that God sent his son to die for you. I hope and I pray that you do not leave here this morning without knowing Jesus Christ. I want to give you that opportunity to come to know Christ. I'll be down here in the front. Jason will be back there in the decision room. If you just need prayer, you need something, please come forward. Let's stand together.
Christ is my firm foundation The rock on which I Everything around me is shaking this morning. If you're new with us this morning, I would invite you to go out to the big orange wall out in the foyer because I'm new. We could receive a gift from us. We'd just love to be able to talk to you and make some connection with you. Also remind you of our marriage workshop. You'll find these up in the back of the church here. Next weekend we're going to have a great marriage workshop. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy that if you're a married couple. 
Finally, I had to go through a lot of material this morning, and I had to leave so many things out. And I had covered most of this in my Theology 101 class about how God reveals himself. If you're interested in that, there are pieces of paper up here, the whole booklets that go through that whole process with you. I just pray that you have a wonderful week. I pray the peace of God goes with you. Love God. Go change the world. Have a great week.